0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text that's the basis for our sermon this morning is the gospel lesson that was read just a few moments ago. So, what is your truth? Have you heard that statement anywhere lately? I know that I certainly have heard it, but more often times it's, phrased after some bold assertion when someone says, well, that's my truth. So how exactly does that work? One article I read this week said that when you define your truth, then you help to define universal truth. In essence, if we each define our own truths, then Somewhere in the milieu, they all come together to form some greater, larger, universal truth. So, I guess, I value time in nature. The time there that I spend is rejuvenating to me. It's a place that I really like to slow down, unless, of course, I'm on my mountain bike. And then I take in the fresh air, I watch the birds flit around in the trees, I feel the warm breeze on my shoulders, or maybe this time of year, the cold breeze as it rustles through what's left of the leaves. Being in nature, that is the most relaxing. But for someone else, they value time in the city. To them, strolling through the Tower Grove Farmer's Market is relaxing. Navigating the crowds of people, finding that right vendor with just the right spices for that spinach artichoke dip that you're making later, finding just the right cup of cider that's organic, fair trade, sustainably sourced, being in the city, that is the most relaxing. So which is it? Being in nature or being in the city? The trouble with truth is who gets to define it, And if in this pursuit of universal truth we come to one of these junctions, someone has to be right and someone has to be wrong. It cannot be both. They can't at the same time both be the most relaxing place. And so the pursuit of truth in this way, it's entirely subjective, brothers and sisters in Christ. We must provide that baseline. We have to define the parameters we place ourselves at the center and i know that it seems kind of silly to debate what is the most relaxing place and well to be honest it kind of is silly so let's go ahead and apply this to something else with a little more gravity how about morality if we were to debate this in morality, if, if my truth of morality conflicted with your truth about morality, then what? Whose morality is true? Does that sound dangerous to you at all? It certainly does to me. And so in the text for today, we find a truth claim. In fact, we find an absolute We find a universal truth claim as John the Baptist is out in the wilderness, as he is preparing the way for the Lord. He knows that this Messiah has arrived, though he doesn't know quite who he is just yet, until he sees the Holy Spirit descend and remain on Jesus in the form of a dove. And right then and there, John makes this bold statement. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that, brothers and sisters in Christ, is a bold assertion of truth. A bold assertion of truth that's both absolute and universal. John says, The, not a, Lamb of God. Referring to Jesus in this singular and definite fashion. This is the Lamb of God. There is no other. It is Him. There can be no plurality here. And then the term Lamb of God. Provocative language that would have had those gathered possibly pondering the Passover lamb from Exodus, the sacrificial lamb whose blood covered God's people in Egypt is that angel of death passed over their homes. The blood of that Passover lamb covering those people gathered in that house. Each house having to sacrifice a different lamb all across Israel. But the lamb of God, this the lamb of God, John's bold statement proclaiming to all who were hearing that Jesus, this Nazarene, was the Lamb of God. And his next words telling all about his mission here on earth, who takes away the sin of the world. This lamb, unlike that Passover lamb in Egypt, was to be an all-encompassing sacrifice Not just for one family, not just for the Jewish people, but for Jew and Gentile alike, for slave and free, for Pharisee and Sadducee alike. The mission of this Lamb was to redeem all of creation. And so John's statement here is absolute, it is universal. In saying this, there can be no other. So so how is it that John can stand there and make this claim, after all, he is just a poor, miserable sinner like you and I? Well, saying, I myself did not know him, he doesn't try to take the credit. Instead, knowing who Jesus was, he points with the authority of a messenger saying, he who sent me. John points to God as the one who has revealed this Lamb of God. It isn't John's opinion, it isn't from his own reason that the Lamb of God is recognized here by the Jordan. It is because of God's divine revelation. As John testifies as to who Jesus, this Nazarene, really is. So this event it reveals something to us that has been lost by our fall into sin. God is at the center of all things. And even if we don't use words like, well that's my truth, our sinful nature tries to define things on our own terms. And in our sinfulness we place ourselves at the center. And even as Christians, we find ourselves doing this. I mean, there's so many things in our world that are vying for our attention. We have so many choices to make, all of the activities, all of the groups, so many opportunities and so little time. How can I fit this in? Well, I guess I have no time for for choir anymore. That's okay. Well, you know, if I don't make it to youth group, That's just fine. We place ourselves at the center and we strive to fit God into our lives instead of seeing how he has come into ours and woven us into his story. How he came in a way that flipped the ways of the world on its head. Mighty military king, conquering army, subduing the kingdoms of the earth and establishing his throne in this place. No, not really. Humble servant king, God of angel armies, saving all the kingdoms, establishing his throne forever. Yeah, that's actually how that goes. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the culture in which we live tells us that we are at the center of it all that we get to define truth, whatever that is. Don't you see the problem with that? How often, how often do we disagree? Whether it's in our homes or in our churches or wherever it's at. I only have to think back over the last few weeks to the Speaker of the House election saga. What an ordeal that was as they negotiated until they could finally elect McCarthy after 15 votes and so many concessions. Now, I'm not taking any political stands here. I'm just pointing out that when we place ourselves at the center, we struggle to agree on things. And that's an example of just 435 people, each believing that their way is right. 435 truth claims on both sides of the aisle. If we are the baseline for truth, well, then we're in big trouble. We are in really, really big trouble. If we're the baseline for truth, then truth is indeed relative then none of us actually have any real basis to tell one what is right and what is wrong. It's just one opinion against the other, this group against that group. And when we do this, when we make these truth claims based on anything other than God's word, we find that we are just wallowing in our own sin. That we are just wallowing in death and darkness. When we look into God's word, brothers and sisters in Christ, his truth, it doesn't always make sense to us. And at times, his truth might even seem the exact opposite of our inclinations. When it does, when it feels this way, you're beginning to see how God upends the world's ways. Even when it doesn't make sense, when it challenges your preconceived notions of how things should be, God's word is always right. And when we see what he has revealed to us, when we recognize that he is at the center, that he orders our lives, it unites us. Not in our own camps, around our own truths, but in his camp around the truth of his word. John's beautiful proclamation here of who Jesus is and what he is to do shows us this. John himself fades into the background with his statements as he points to what God has revealed to us. That his love for us in Christ Jesus is complete. That though in our sin we were enemies of God, Christ still came and died for us. That he brought life and light into the world and that one day he will return in glory to dwell with his people in a restored creation. So this week, this week as you take in all of those sights and sounds around you, as you interact with all of those people in your life, remember that God is at the center of all things. Remember that God is at the end of all things, that his word is final, not yours. That the word of the cross is final. That the Lamb of God has blessed all who believe with an eternity with him and a restored creation. Thanks be to God for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. And now, may the peace that passes all understanding guide your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.